This is our last session, and uh, as promised, I have a handout for you uh, of the summary that we've come up with, the summaries that we've come up with together for each of the chapters in the book. And so uh, Chris and Carl are, are passing those out. We've covered in previous weeks uh, the background and the context, as Chris mentioned, but then also the first six chapters. And we got about halfway through the last chapter last week. So this week, we will either get through the rest of this chapter or we never will because we're, we're done today. But we're in the chapter on the church. We read this quote from Machen last week. Uh, it has just been observed that Christianity, as well as liberalism, is interested in social institutions, but the most ins important institution has not yet been mentioned in the previous chapters, the institution of the church. And then we have the summary of each of these chapters, but you'll be able to see it um, in the handout much more easily than up here on the screen. In the first part of chapter 7, then, we saw three points before we ran out of time. We got into the fourth point, but that the liberals were making false accusations. Uh, the liberal theologians and the people in the church that wanted the church to change were accusing the historic Christians of not caring at all about education or social services. We said there, there was some... There, as in most debates, there's some seed of truth or some degree of truth uh, to the level of concern or to the approach to these other concerns besides people's uh, eternal salvation. However, it wasn't true, never has been entirely true, that any Christians, even the most conservative of historic Christians, cared nothing about uh, education or social services. We then went on to see that part of the disagreement comes from the fact that the liberals were holding out this idea that all humans, all human beings are equally brothers, as we'd seen in previous chapters, because God is equally everyone's father, and we are then all equally brothers. Whereas historic Christians hold that there's a special brotherhood of the redeemed, and we believe historic Christians believe that this uh, inviting people into this brotherhood of the redeemed, into this family of the redeemed, the church, to being individually saved is the most important service we can do them, but it's not the only service. However, if we neglect that one, Machen's point would be, we, are, we may be doing something nice, maybe something good and helpful, but it's not Christianity. And then third point was that as we look at how should society be transformed and how, in, in the sense, the, the liberals would have said, how do we bring salvation to the world as opposed to historic Christianity? The liberals' position was that we're to bring salvation to the world by improving earthly conditions and improving human institutions by using Christian ethical principles and the golden rule. Whereas the historic uh, Christian position has been that society is improved, institutions are improved uh, by redeemed people. Now, of course, these redeemed people, as they grow in the faith, will be living according to Jesus' teaching, to Christian ethical principles, and according to the golden rule, they will be following God's law. But 
it needs to be redeemed people in the power of the Holy Spirit, who Chris just mentioned, uh, who are doing this. No one can fulfill the law. No one can really live out these Christian ethical principles uh, in their fullness without the power of the Holy Spirit. That doesn't mean there's no such thing as common grace, that even people who are not Christians don't often do many, many good things, but they won't be able to bring about ultimate and final transformation in the way that historic Christianity promises to do. We then were into point four when we ran out of time last week, uh, and this was Machen's question, why is it that the church seems uh, so weak, the visible church? Why is it that this liberal approach, which in Machen's view was turning the church really just into a social uh, club and a social services agency. Not that there's anything wrong. Machen would have emphasized social clubs are completely fine, often actually a very good thing. And social services are very, very important. Christians have always been involved with them. But why was it that the liberals were succeeding in turning the church into only that and neglecting the historic message of the gospel of grace being foundational and most important. And Machen pointed out that really, while, we'll, while it's inevitable, he said, that there will always be people who are not truly born again in attending church, in the membership of the church, he probably would even add, even in the ministry of the church, it nevertheless uh, was the case that at the time, the, the church bodies, both congregations and presbyteries were admitting to to the ministry to the leadership of the church people who weren't fooling them that they didn't believe the historic uh, Christian position they openly admitted they didn't believe the historic Christian position and nevertheless were still ordained and installed into the ministry um, those who openly rejected the historic gospel were being admitted not just to membership in church but to the ministry of the church and over time these folks because they were organized and because they had an agenda uh, and because many people uh, just couldn't bring themselves to believe that someone would have this agenda or that a group would have this agenda they actually managed to uh, insinuate themselves into control of the leadership of the denominational agencies, into the leadership of the church. And many moderates, which would have been the majority of the people, as at least historically has often been the case, uh, thought, well, we could all get along. We don't want to argue. If they want to do that, we'll let them do that. But we'll hopefully in our church keep holding on to the historic faith. And... Uh, these moderates argued that the historic Christians and the liberals could continue to work together, but the liberals were saying the only way that would work is if the conservatives would keep what they, what the liberals called trifling matters, uh, from becoming constant debate points. The problem was what they defined trifling matters. The conservatives, the historic Christians, thought was the most important thing. So they, the liberals were saying, if you guys would just stop arguing about this stuff let us let us modernize the church if you want to keep having your old-fashioned church you can go ahead and do that 
we love you, we're liberal, we're broad, we allow you to keep having your old-fashioned church, but, you know, let us have our modern church. The problem was the thing they were calling trifling was the central thing. And this is then what uh, Machen says, this revealed that the, the truly narrow party was the party that had come to be called liberal. And he said that they were narrow, not liberal, in the, in the positive sense of that word, in the affirming, broad sense of that word. They were not liberal, they were narrow, because they were not even uh, trying, or perhaps they were trying, but they were refusing to understand the position of the of the historic Christians of the conservatives, they they were refusing to understand that their holding on to that position was because they thought it was the central thing, uh, and so the debate was really over how important is this historic gospel. That was the debate, and the liberals were as they've done quite a bit. Uh, if, if you've been following along, they, they became very adept at equivocating, using language to mean different things, use, using words to mean something different than most people in the pews would have thought they meant, and at, uh, um, at begging the question, at uh, assuming their position was correct. In other words, they didn't make any arguments as to why the historic Christian view of the gospel should be sidelined. They just said it's trifling. We just we're going to define it away. End of discussion. And uh, Machen said that narrowness had not been uh, adequately opposed by the historic Christians. And this position, as I just mentioned, was dishonest. The 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 ministers and the liberal leaders at minimum knew what they were doing. They knew that they were not still subscribing to the Westminster Confession. They were not upholding the position of their church. There may have been, as there always are, there's always around leaders, um, people who aren't uh, as well versed in, in the position. So they're Undoubtedly, were many, many good people following some of the liberal leaders who just weren't aware, didn't understand these issues. In fact, I'm pretty sure Machen thought that it's one of the reasons I think he wrote the book, was so that regular good people, not seminary educated, not ministers, not uh, entrenched in one of these two parties, would realize what was going on. Because otherwise, they're, well, my pastor's been my pastor. We, he's been here. He, you know, he baptized my kid. He married my other kid. He, you know, he buried my mom, and so he's my pastor. And not realizing, yeah, he may have done all of those things, but he's a he's on a certain side of a debate. Where are you on that debate? And as Machen said at the very beginning of this book, we need to make the issue clear. And he was trying to make that issue clear that at least some of the key leaders of the Liberal Party were knowingly dishonest. They were intentionally using language in a dishonest way. And so then we said, why did the, 
uh, what did the historic Christians think should happen because of this? What should we do? We have these two parties. They disagree even over the nature of the debate. So what do we do? Well, the historic Christians, and, and with whom Machen would have identified, they thought the liberals should just leave and start a new church. They thought that would be the honest thing. Uh, well, ultimately, I think, e even in the heat of the battle, uh, even in the hottest parts of the battle, I would guess that Machen uh, even would have said, well, what we really wish is they would just change their mind. Uh, in biblical terms, they would repent and they would come to believe the gospel and that the central work of the church is to propagate the gospel and along with that of course we will bring uh, many other good things to our communities but they should come to believe historic Christianity and stop believing this new paganism is but if they're not going to do that if they're not going to repent of their non-Christianity that they're calling Christianity if they're not going to do that they should go and just start an a church and name it whatever they really are but it's not Christian and to this he commended the Unitarians and said you know they at least were honest they they went and did what and started a new church and they openly say what they believe and they have the virtue of honesty they're wrong but they have the virtue of honesty the liberals basically believe what they do but they dishonestly want to co-opt our uh, buildings and funds that have been given to spread the gospel to undermine the gospel and the, the liberals said well no but by this time remember they had gained control of much of the leadership of the denomination they said why should we leave you guys leave and Machen said well the reason is I read this I'm not I don't think I'm going to read the quote to you again this morning but he basically says it's because the the church holds its resources in trust and the the funds and the buildings and all that had been given to the church were given to propagate the historic Christian gospel they weren't given to undermine it by what the liberals were doing and so to allow them for the for the conservatives to walk away and just let it go at least without trying to uh, set the ship back on course would be to be a fail would be a failure of trust that be letting people down now he thought though in that quote if you read it he said it may come to the point where the conservatives have to leave and you know when he was writing that in 1923 or 1922 whenever he wrote it it was published in 23 he says you know it may come to that someday well it did come to that he personally chose to leave Princeton uh, about six years later because they continued to hire professors for the seminary not just to teach any old subjects but to train ministers uh, who did who denied the gospel so he left then in uh, 35 and 36 he was kicked out of the mainline Presbyterian Church because of his views and technically because of starting an independent mission board but he started the independent mission board because he did not want the funds 
that he and others were giving to the denomination's mission board to keep going to uh, liberal causes, to causes that were undermining the gospel. He wanted those missionaries to be spreading the gospel. And so when they could not bring that about in the denominational mission board, he started an independent mission board, and that was viewed as insubordination and disloyalty by the denomination, and they kicked him out. They removed his ministerial credentials or defrocked him, you'll hear it called. And then in 1936, he founded with others the Orthodox Presbyterian Church. Um, that's as far as we got last week. So why shouldn't the conservatives withdraw, as we just said, because of the trust of the churches? Uh, they ended up having to withdraw or being kicked out. It's not really withdrawing, I guess. They ushered out of the denomination. But in other denominations, folks did leave. The same thing was happening in most of the old denominations in the United States at this time. Uh, and you can see it played out in the, the current evangelical groups that exist, if we had time to study that more. But so why, why didn't the conservatives just quietly leave initially? Because they thought it was a matter of trust. Then um, the second question was, why isn't it that the conservatives, the historic Christians, are being intolerant to suggest that the liberals leave? In other words, gee, you guys, you're really intolerant. We can get along. We think that what you think is ultimately important is trifling, but we can get along. Why do you think we need to leave? You seem to be intolerant. And Machen said it's not intolerant because the church is a voluntary association. Now some of this is not, um, these are some of his own contributions in the history of the church. You won't find some of his thoughts on this in the Westminster Confession itself, especially the original form of it. Uh, that came over from England. But in the United States, he was saying, we have to allow religious tolerance in our country because you don't have a choice as to whether you're here. I guess you could emigrate, but when you're here, you have to live here. But in America, no one has to join any particular church. And the very nature in America of voluntary associations, of which he included churches, is they have no purpose unless they can define why it is they exist. If everybody's a part of it, that's just society. But he said, if you were going to have a polo, he didn't, my, these examples are mine, but if you were going to have a polo club, well, everybody that wants to be in that club probably ought to have a polo pony and know how to play polo, right? If you, if you don't like horses, you probably don't join the polo club, right? Uh, if you want to have a swim team, you, it's people that swim, right? And so here we're having a church. It's a place where we're going to further the gospel. Uh, and that's not intolerant. It's not intolerant for the swim team to say, you can't join us unless you swim. It's not intolerant for the polo club to say, you can't join us unless you have a polo pony. Because... Uh, you don't, it's a free country. You, you don't have to join them. You're, no, nothing negative is going to happen to you by not joining them. And it exists for that particular purpose. And Machen is saying that the church in America is, is like this. Now, this isn't the case. 
back when the original Westminster was written or in most of the, the countries where the Reformation occurred where there was still connection of church and state. But that's another discussion. Machen's point is here in the, the early 20th century, he's saying we're not being intolerant. We're saying you guys don't, don't meet the basic standards for participation in our institution, which is belief in the gospel and seeking to propagate the gospel. And then his third question was, until the, or, or third statement here, until the liberals repent or withdraw, Christianity will continue to be attacked from within by a movement which is anti-Christian to the core. Uh, so what do we do about it? We've got, uh, go back here, the the liberals think that the historic Christians don't care about anything but saving souls, which isn't true. The liberals think everybody's a brother, whether they're Christian or not, but the historic Christians think it's of utmost important that we share the gospel and we invite people to become Christians with us. The liberals think we just transform society by imposing Christian ethics on the world. Now, Many of the things we've talked about have continued down to our day. The descendants of the, the theological liberals of the 20s are still doing much the same. But that one, I, I think we briefly discussed last week, is often different. We now, the, the progressive, even Christian extreme, what would be the descendants of the liberal Christians today, would be hesitant even to oppose um, some of what would have then been viewed as Christian ethical principles would be viewed as imperialist or as white supremacist or of things of that nature would be a great concern which they were not having concern about that at that time but regardless of that the historic Christians then and now would say while we need to help people and we need to work toward a just society of more importance is that people's souls are made right with God then go that the church is weak because we're letting the wrong people be in control, people that don't even believe what we believe. So what do we do? What are we supposed to do? Brings us to our fifth and, and last point. What is the duty of Christians, according to Machen? And then he points out especially to officers in the church. Now, most of us in this room aren't officers in the church, but he's going to address officers as well as church members. And so when, in one sense, we do have... Even if you're not an elder or a deacon here today, if you're, a, if you're a member, we do have membership responsibilities that we need to take seriously. And uh, Machen gives some suggestions about what we need to do. We, he's told us how things are, where things are, and why he thinks they got so bad. What do we do about it? Now, remember, he's saying this before he left, got kicked out of his denomination. So if he was writing this, uh, you know, 10, 15 years later, he might add to this, start good denominations. But he, he isn't there yet. He's still within it. What can we do uh, as we respond to the liberals in, in the church? There are now many good evangelical denominations, even in his um, tradition, even within this Westminster Confession tradition. The, the OPC Church does still exist, the PCA Church exists, and there are quite a few other Reformed and Presbyterian denominations who are 
continuing to be faithful. But his recommendations would still hold to us today, I believe. They, they would hold at all times. What, what should Christians and Christian uh, church members and Christian church officers do to keep their churches faithful? And first thing he says is to encourage those. He means the members and the officers should be encouraging to those who are engaging in the intellectual and spiritual struggle to defend the gospel. And if we read the Bible and we pay attention to history, there's always a struggle to defend the gospel. There might be, there are times, not might be, there are times when things are going better and times when things are going worse. But if we see anything throughout the scripture and throughout church history since the scripture was finished, it's that we tend to get things right for a while and then mess them up and we have to fix up our messes. And when to do that, to both reduce the number of times when we mess things up, let things get out of control, and to help bring them back when we do, some folks within the church need to be involved in the intellectual and spiritual struggle of defending the gospel. So what was happening at the time was people were saying, why do we have to argue about the liberals? Why do we need to come up with the answer to their questions? Can't we just preach the gospel? Can't we just say, Jesus loves me, believe in him. We don't need to argue about all of these things. And Machen said, well, those things are true. Jesus loves me. Jesus died for me, rose again for me. I'm saved by grace alone. I, I have to be born again. Those are all true things. Saying them in a vacuum does nothing to combat people using the same language to mean something else. Some people need to be explaining how language is being abused. Some people need to explain what's going on. Because remember, in these liberal churches, most people for a long, long time thought, what's the argument? We're all saying the same thing. But they weren't all meaning the same thing. So someone has to be uh, encouraged and equipped and uh, supported in not only preaching the positive message, which is the main focus and the most important thing, but also in arguing against error. Um, that's coming into the church. Machen's quote is, there have been previous great crises in the history of the church, crises almost comparable to this one. In such times of crisis, God has always saved the church, but he has always saved it not by theological pacifists, but by sturdy contenders for the truth, people that will enter the debate. So the first thing, is that let's encourage and maybe that's some of you maybe that's some of us is a role to engage hopefully we can engage as Machen has in this book with clarity and with courage but also with compassion and acknowledging common ground where it's possible not with name calling and simplistic reactionary outrage but with serious intelligent thoughtful uh, clarity and precision. The second thing he thought we should do is that the officers, in particular this one with B here, the officers should perform their duty in deciding upon the qualifications of candidates for the ministry. What he's basically saying is the elders were ordaining people who outright denied the confession and the gospel. 
And they were doing it like we often do, and maybe Minnesotans are even uh, more known for this. We, we don't want to be mean. This guy studied real hard. Um, maybe he'll grow into the right answers. We've got to give him the benefit of the doubt. And he was outright denying the confession. In, in other words, he flunked the test. He didn't just get a C. Zero. F minus. Okay, we'll make you a minister. And he's saying, we have to have our officers have the courage of when someone denies the essence of the requirements for ordination that they're willing to not ordain them. Now again, that applies to not many of us in this room, and thankfully the ones that who it does apply to, I think, would and do take this duty seriously. But that's what we need to remember, is that uh, that duty must be taken seriously, or what happened before can happen again. And it's one of the beauties, in my opinion, of Presbyterian church government that we have these systems and as long as these systems are are treated uh, faithfully are used faithfully we have an avenue to protect the gospel within our churches and uh, we need to pray for our officers both in our church and within our Presbyterian within our denomination that they would continue to do this this is and this it's for often for us lay people, this can seem very easy because we usually don't hear about the problems until they've been going on a long time and the different parties um, release their summary of the, the problem and it becomes a lot of, on both sides, people going, what a bunch of knuckleheads, it's obvious to do this. That's not usually how problems are. If they were easy, they wouldn't be problems. They're usually hard. So pray for the people that have to do that hard work. It's, it's a complicated thing. Machen says, The belief of the Presbyterian Church, for example, is plainly set forth in the confession of faith, and the Church will never afford any warmth of communion or engage with any real vigor in her work until her ministers are in wholehearted agreement with that belief. It is strange how in the interests of an utterly false kindness to men, Christians are sometimes willing to relinquish their loyalty to the crucified Lord. <clears throat> the third thing, we, this applies to all of us, we should show loyalty to Christ as members of individual congregations. So we need to support those who are defending the faith. We need to support and pray for our officers, or if we are officers, that they would exercise those duties faithfully, especially when it comes to ordination. And then we as church members need to show loyalty to Christ as members of individual congregations. Machen points this one out specifically as it came to congregations uh, approving of their of new minister hires, of new pastors. They're bringing in new pastors. The they. If the, the denomination has ordained these candidates, but then the, the congregations are electing them, hiring them, and often what he found they were doing was they were focusing on, wow, that guy's a good preacher, or gee, he's, really, has, he's got really good people skills. Um, man, it would be great to have a guy that can be that strong in the pulpit. Oh, yeah, he doesn't believe what we believe, but man... The last guy did, but he was super boring, and um, you know, uh, 
this guy will fill the church. We'll meet. We'll make budget. We'll, um, you know, and yeah, maybe he's off on some stuff, but man, we'll reach the kids. And so they're thinking about practical things, not truth. Now, obviously, if you have the choice between a guy who believes the gospel and doesn't put everybody to sleep, and you know, and a guy who believes the gospel and does put everybody to sleep, hey, get the guy who doesn't, right? But uh, they were choosing people who denied the gospel because of whatever kind of personal charisma or managerial skills or whatever it was that the particular congregations wanted. And Machen is saying, all of us need to be looking for the right thing, like the, the most important thing. This is true, I think, even strongly true within the evangelical church even today. Um, is, a, is a simple ministry okay as long as it's furthering the gospel? Or is it we need uh, whatever our particular bells and whistles might be? Is that what we're looking for? So show loyalty to Christ as members in our individual congregation. Machen says, God, send us ministers who, instead of merely avoiding denial of the cross, shall be on fire with the cross, whose life shall be one burning sacrifice of gratitude to the blessed Savior who loved them and gave himself for them. Next, he, needs a re- he says that the church and our society as a whole needs a renewal of Christian education. Um, with what I've given my life to, I liked this um, article. Made me feel important, but uh, that's probably not good. Uh, we need a renewal of Christian education. Apart from my career as an educator, just noticing uh, what Christians know and don't know, and I bet many of you have seen this, um, we need this even more in our day than uh, he needed in his, or at least the same amount. Um, we need people to actually know what Christianity believes. If you don't know what we believe, if nobody's educated you, educare led you out of your ignorance, right? That's what education is to lead you out of your ignorance. If you, and ignorance here is not meant as an insult, Minnesotans. Is ignorance means you don't know anything about something. So if you know nothing about Christianity, you're ignorant of Christianity. Someone needs to lead you out of that ignorance. And that doesn't just happen without effort. We need a renewal of Christian education. Machen said the rejection of Christianity is due to various causes, but a very potent cause is simple ignorance. In countless cases, Christianity is rejected simply because men have not the slightest notion what Christianity is. People need to know what it is. When they know what it is, man, why wouldn't you believe it? Especially when you go through what we've just gone through. Why would you pick, if you look on your handout, why would you pick the left side of the column, the left column? Now, of course, we say that thanks to Again, the Holy Spirit, right? He's opened our eyes and our hearts to, to be able to see this. But in many ways, even people who don't embrace it have come to realize this. What, what do I need some sort of do-gooder, busy-body thing that calls itself Christianity? Just leave me alone, right? 
Whereas the right column there, historic Christianity is, do you want to be left alone to die in your sin? We've got hope for you, hope that comes not from your own effort, not from busybodies, not from do-gooders, but by, from Christ who died for you. Um, why would you want the, the do-gooder side when you could have the gospel? But Machen says the ignorance that people have in general is due, at his time was due, and I don't think anything's changed. In fact, I think it's gotten worse, but that's what old people always think, right? Uh, the, the ignorance is due to general decline in education. The schools were bad, in his opinion. Not, he doesn't mean now Sunday school. He means schools in general uh, were were poor, and he thought actually many of the politically conservative um, or politically right-wing efforts to make them better were actually terrible. So this again isn't, this is about a theological position, not um, some sort of partisan uh, stance. He, he, but the schools weren't teaching people uh, about lots of things, but especially they were failing to teach them about even the history of Christianity. The second is the view that Christianity is a life and not also a doctrine. So this idea that was popular with the liberals, but which if you listen, you will hear within evangelical Christianity today, we'll hear within um, evangelicalism and within conservative types of Christianity today. Uh, and the problem stems from false dichotomies, right? In other words, Christianity is a life, but it's a life based on a doctrine. So the, it's this false dichotomy of, well, if you focus on doctrine, you're going to just have dead orthodoxy. We need to, but if you focus just on a life, what kind of life is that? How are we defining it as a Christian life? And so he thought at the time, this emphasis on personal experience and our personal lifestyle, as opposed to what has the church taught down through the ages, was why people were ignorant about what the church believed. If I just need to follow the golden rule, I don't need to know the catechism. If I just need to follow the golden rule, I don't even need to know much about the Bible. right? So I need to know these doctrines more fully, these history of the church more fully to have a full uh, Christian life. And then the third reason he thought people were ignorant about Christianity was there was a need for a renewal of Christian education in the family and the churches. So he's saying, the world out there is not doing a good job at education. In the church, we're kind of emphasizing the wrong things, but then in our homes and in our churches, we need to make sure we are being faithful to teaching what it is that Christians believe. So, what we need, as he says, is that we encourage apologetics and defense of the faith that we encourage our officers to be faithful in who they ordain, that we make sure we hire the right ministers and elect the right officers, right? And uh, then that we together, officers, members, and parents, all of us, 
do a better job at teaching one another and the next generation what it is we believe. We can't just assume that everyone will know. We need to do those four things. Wow. We might think, well, we've been trying to do that. There's still lots of problems. What do we do? And things haven't gotten better. What's that? Try harder. Try harder? Yeah. Try harder. Be more like Machen. Well, we, we can do that. We can. We probably always can and should try harder, but maybe not. We need to be faithful and we need to trust the Lord and not despair. So sometimes, depends on your personality, some people might say, wow, it's only gotten worse. Some people might say, oh no, it's, it's gotten better. be interesting to talk about that. It depends on how, how uh, rosy you are or how dark you are in your personality. Um, some of us tend to think, uh, wow, stuff's even worse and we've tried really hard guess we might as well despair, you know, and uh, others don't understand that, but we shouldn't despair even if we're prone to do that. And Machen says this, there is in the Christian life no room for despair. There is in the Christian life no room for despair, only our hopefulness should not be founded on the sand or on just having a rosy personality. Our hopefulness should be founded not upon blind ignorance of the danger, but solely upon the precious promises of God. Laymen as well as ministers should return in these trying days with a new earnestness to the study of the word of God. If the word of God be heeded, especially, this, he would say if you read the whole book, you realize he's saying, especially when it comes to the gospel, that we're saved not by trying harder, but by furthering this message. If we heed this word of God, the Christian battle will be fought both with love and with faithfulness. And that's what is so exciting to me to see this. Is he's here in this book. He's saying a big number of people in his denomination aren't really even subscribing to Christianity. See how that would be taken as a fairly harsh accusation. Right? And uh, he's viewed, as we saw earlier, as he was not, he could be an intense person. Um, in fact, probably was consistently an intense person. And he had a personality that some people thought was overly intense, but yet he thought it was important uh, to, even as we engage these battles, he thought it was super important to engage these battles, but to fight these battles with faithfulness, yes, but also with love. Uh, we see this, as I mentioned last week, echoed in Francis Schaeffer, one of his students, years later. Um, Schaeffer would have said, having neglected this bit of his teaching for many years, reawakening to it, realizing we've been fighting all right, but we've been fighting in nasty, unloving kind of way. The trick, and it's a trick we can't really do by trying harder, it's a trick that can only happen supernaturally, is how to fight hard and be loving. It's impossible, humanly, to do this, I think. Uh, how do you oppose somebody and love them? We need God's help. We need the Holy Spirit's help in this. We engage this battle with love 
and with faithfulness. And then, what the immediate future may bring, we cannot presume to say, but the final result indeed is clear. God has not deserted his church. He has brought her through even darker hours than those which try our courage now. That was true in 1923, and it's true in 2023. And that's the end of my class. But we still do have nine minutes if you want to talk and ask questions or discuss, or we can go hang out in the foyer. So, any questions or comments? Yeah, Jeff. So, at this time period, it seems like most of the attacks were coming from a warping from within the message of the church. It seems like that greater society was very accepting of the Christian transformative social mm -hmm. gospel and wanting to uh, serve the poor and the downtrodden and, and improve society for better thinking and better connection between people. Um, would any of these denominations have been attacked from without, from law or uh, regulation or society? saying that they were not allowed to be expressly sharing that gospel that Machen is talking about? Obviously, there's always <coughs> multiple currents flowing in a, in a free society. But from my, my limited knowledge, would say that it was still within society to someone's social legal, political advantage to be identified with Christianity. And so uh, there, there were um, atheists, there were uh, communists, socialists, etc., who wanted some of these things, uh, who were coming over from Europe and wanted some of these things to not be um, privileged the way they were within our society, but they didn't have a lot of control of the levers of power. So um, uh, you know, we, th it was just beginning to be challenged. So for example, I guess one illustration, if you remember at the beginning of the class, we said H.L. Uh, Mencken appreciated Machen's writing style, but he mocked William Jennings Bryan. And, and that whole reason William Jennings Bryan, well, not the whole reason, but the William Jennings Bryan was famous already, but he became even more famous and some would say infamous by participating in the Scopes monkey trial, it's often called. And you have to remember that Scopes was being tried for teaching evolution in a public school. He, so he, the law prohibited him from teaching evolution. So the law was on the side of the historic Christian consensus. Am I answering your question? Yeah, yeah. The, the, only, the only reason I ask is that would seem to be one of the major obstacles to those solutions that he talked about, where we need the revival of education. You know, I've heard many a Christian say kicking the Bible out of public schools was the biggest failure of yeah. education overall, you know, because it took. Yeah the character question from a direct historical mooring to yeah. anything that you want to make it. So all we can say is we're safe and kind to each other. And 
Yeah, and interestingly, I think Machen would have said, so that's a, a, a real huge debate. Machen, even though he's advocating for education here, wasn't a big fan of um, overt religious things in government schools um, because he thought, well, not everyone that goes to the government schools is going to, and this was, it's a, it's a big discussion for, for another day, but the the whole reason the Catholic education system in America was started was the public schools were Protestant schools, right? So, um, and the Roman Catholics said, we don't want our kids to go read a Protestant Bible and become Protestant, but majority of, again, majority of the power holders and uh, ruling people, ruling class in our country were, um, were Protestant. Um, so that's when the Catholics started their schools, and in fact, there were, they were challenged as to whether that was even legal. Machen, although he was very much not a Catholic and would have said that that, that was a perversion of Christianity, thought they should be free. They shouldn't be forced to uh, in government schools to do that. Didn't think necessarily we should pray in schools because what if that teacher is not even a believer? What if that? So, nevertheless, so there's lots of different discussions about. How do we improve the education? But, but yes, to your point today, it would be, at present, it would be impossible to truly teach the gospel in the way we would want it to be taught, meaning we really think this is true and we implore you to, to believe it, like we call you to believe it. That wouldn't be legal today, yes. Does that, does that address your question? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Ron. These seven points, you know, written 100 years ago are still relevant today. Yeah. After 100 years, would you have any other points that would be, that should be included? Huh. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm no machin, so. Um, no, I, or, I just, I'm thinking, I'm thinking, yeah. Under, you know, yeah. at the mm -hmm. time. And the world has mm -hmm. changed. Mm -hmm. um, these haven't changed, but yeah. are there any other things attacking the church and Christianity today that he wasn't dealing with at the mm -hmm. time that would still be as um, definite? There certainly, there certainly are specific, uh, specific challenges and specific wrongs that are different than then. I think one of the genius of his book though is he was putting it as the categories of concern to Christians. Like what do we think of God and man? What do we think of Christ? What do we think of the Bible? I'm not sure that there would be any other categories like that unless I guess we could say you know since his time um, the whole postmodernist uh, extreme extreme relativism has is is greater. In other words, he could still write a book like this, which is like heavy duty logic, right? That and and his opponents would understand it. Now they they, they might choose. They were they were consciously equivocating because they knew their people 
believed logic. In our day, there's lots of people that would, I, so I think that's a new challenge. People can, I think we've talked about that a couple times, people are okay holding um, logically um, mutually exclusive positions. And I, I don't think he had that challenge. That's just one that comes to mind. Do you have some or one? Yeah, so the Yeah, and I think that gender thing gender identity comes is related to kind of my answer is if if you can hold mutually exclusive things, in other words, if you can hold on to I really value science, but also people ought to be able to choose even if it goes against science, that tension is there. Uh, um, and I would say though that the, the things like the, the current gender confusion problems though do come from perhaps what even Jeff was addressing. If there's no standard of authority and if there is no way to, uh, if there's no outside source of truth, if we create our own truth, and that, that, is, that, was, that did not exist yet, that this idea that truth is what we make it, that is something new that we're struggling with. But I think that it flows downstream from all the things he touched with, though. I think the doors were opened by these things, and it came in. So, hey, that's the end of our time. Um, thanks for your attention. I hope it was helpful. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. That's very well said. Let, let me pray for us and, and we'll go. Father, thank you for this good time. Thank you that it appears to have been helpful. And as was just shared, thank you that there's a place here in our little town that cares for truth and love. In Jesus' name, amen.